Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. It's our long-discussed, much-awaited return to books, including actually reading them. I think we should just be up front. It's been a light reading summer for both of us. Yes, that's true. My brain fell out for a while. It's slowly coming back. So I've, I've read some things that are lighter fare, and then I have some goals. It's a goal-setting time. It's a, it's a goals-oriented podcast, which great. we're, we're going to get into it. But first, I just wanted to share two pieces of personal news that I'm, I'm just really excited about. Um, number one, Paula Cole's theme song for Dawson's Creek has finally returned to streaming. So if you're watching that show, I believe it's on Hulu. The song is back. I don't want to wait. I'm so excited, Amanda. This has been so long awaited since the DVDs came out a long time ago, since season two arrived on DVD, um, theme songs and missing. So this is a really, really big deal. I'm so happy. So I have some follow-up questions okay. because, so you mean that it's returned to the episodes of the show that you watch? Yes. It like, it's back. They had the song by Janice Ian called days like these and, or, I think that some song by Isn't her. Janice Ian a Mean Girls character? Um, I, that was also the name of the singer who does okay. a lot of music for Dawson's Creek. And <laughs> I think it was a different song that played and just sucked. The beginning of every episode, like for the opening credits was a different song and it was okay. awful. But you could still hear Paula Cole's song. Like 
in the world, right? Sure, if you went to Spotify, world. it wasn't like a lost recording. No, it's not okay. like Aaliyah's music that was off of streaming altogether. It's okay. just that like, that like back on Daw- Dawson's Creek on Hulu, you will now hear the proper theme song for each episode. Okay. Are you a person who listens to the theme song for each episode that when you watch something on streaming? Well, I use the skip button pretty frequently, but the way that um, the song comes in is usually like a sound bed that like it's like atmospheric and then it launches into the credits. Right. So if you're trying to fall asleep to an episode of Dawson's Creek and you have the harsh tones of a different song jarring you back to back. And that would be very upsetting. I mean, like the the, I don't want to wait is very iconic. And I like you need to hear that. Um, before you hit the skip button, I do yeah. understand that or hearing something else instead of it. I'm just going to go ahead and say all streaming services need to figure out for a way for me to not have to watch credits and me to not have to hit the skip button every single time. I'm I just know. like, I'm over it. It's 2021. We put a man on the moon, figure it out. Okay. And figure out your licensing. But in the case of Dawson's Creek, I do understand that it would be very upsetting to hear something other than the, I don't want to wait and then have to hit the skip button. Yes, it's absolutely awful. So it's it's huge. I just so I'm this has so been happy. Tw- this has been 20 years that you've been living like this? Basically, yeah. It's rough. Why wasn't Paula Cole's song available? I think because when music licensing started, it didn't account for um DVDs and streaming. And so whatever the license was for the original song um upon first airing, it, the deal was only for that. It was not for in perpetuity. Can I ask why it took them 20 years to um, get this one licensing sorted out. I mean, I, I do know that licensing is complicated, but this does seem extended. Um, I just want to say that the song that replaced it was run like mad by Jan Arden, not Janice. And you are correct. That, that is the name of a, uh, okay. Uh, wow. Good for me. And a new girl in a, of the mean girls character. Um, why did it take so long? I don't really know. I guess they just started like decided to pay for it or Paula Cole changed her mind. I'm actually glad you brought this up. I'm noticing a lot of changes in the music light licensing space on television these days. And so I actually like, I need to do a full investigation because I am not completely sure, but like, for example, in sync music keeps popping up all over the place. And I'm just like, do the rights to in sync yeah. just change hands? I'm glad you brought this up because you posted this on Instagram as if hearing two in sync songs in a week is like, really shocking. And I just have to say on, that on reality TV, on reality TV. Uh, uh, okay. Again, as, as if that were like super shocking and your like full backstreet allegiance is just really shining through right now. And it just seemed to me that like, it was inconceivable to you that anyone would want to listen to not one, but two sync songs. That's in a not the point. No, that's not And the I point. just have to tell you that sync was also great. And that's, that's not I, the point. They don't right. license their music. Can name a time in which an sync song has been licensed. I mean, I I don't have a list, Juliet. I, yeah, you're going to be the expert on this. Because it doesn't exist. I can only really think of one Backstreet Boys licensing situation, which is at the end of This Is The End. And it's hilarious and great. Okay. And and it also happened on Love Island in the UK. I, I feel like it must have changed hands that the ownership of, this, of the catalog or something. The reason why it was so noteworthy is on Bachelor, they played it live. They didn't just license it like as like a sound bed, but they they like like Lance Bass came out and they well played. there you go. You That's be because me. Lance Bass has been everywhere because Lance Bass does need money per your original theory. Remember I think a lot when, of them do yeah. like a few weeks. Uh, yeah, I mean they're in a Geico commercial, Three Fists of Instinct. Not not now. Again, I've seen too many commercials this summer. Um, it could be progressive. I don't know. You know, get the insurance that works best for you, but. 
Lance Bass, as you noted, like a month ago, there are just like a lot of tabloid stories about Lance Bass and it's because Lance Bass is putting himself out there. So that makes sense to me. But you're right that Lance Bass having like an undue influence on whether a song is licensed (laughs) would indicate some sort of change in the financial or ownership structure of this music. Also, apparently Love Island has a lot of popular pop music. So I need to look into that too. Music licensing is fascinating to me, partially because many of the shows that I love, like have a lot of influential music, Dawson's Creek, Felicity, the OC, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That was my first piece of personal news. Can I go on to the second? I think that's really exciting. Yeah, go ahead. Another show with really big soundtrack implications, Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) It does. I was actually just thinking about in 2005 or six when, um, that's that song that's by um snow patrol that was yeah. like, really popular that no i a- do remember that I, they do, it does have big soundtrack implications but i would say that its soundtrack implications are stuck firmly in the year 2005 and 2006 <laughs> sure and an era of music <laughs> and a specific genre of music from that era that should probably stay there yeah um or stay related to objects from that era anyway continue <laughs> uh Kate Walsh, Dr. Addison Montgomery Shepard is returning to Grey's Anatomy for the next season. This is a huge, huge news. Wonderful character. So excited. She announced it on social media. It's just great, great, great stuff. Grey's Anatomy, trucks on. So again, may I ask some questions? Sure. Where has Kate Walsh been? I don't know. She had a really bit part in a movie that I was like, I can't believe she's been relegated to this. Hold on. I'm looking that up. Um, no, she remember she had a really bit part in Emily in Paris. Oh yeah, that's what it was. And Emily she got written out. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's I what it was. I, I meant to ask where his doctor, I was about to say Addison Ray, and that's not her name, but whatever her doctor's name was. Where has she been? She had a private practice for a while, if I recall. She, she moved to Los Angeles. I think she's been in LA. I don't okay. know how that show ended, to be honest. I didn't really get into it. But um I think she was in she's living in Santa Monica for her like ocean wellness medical practice group. Yeah. And I guess she's coming back to Seattle. It's great stuff. All the doctors always by the ocean. I just, what about the rest of us? (laughs) Well, what about those of us who don't want to drive an hour to seek medical help? Anyway, I try to stay by the ocean myself, but, um, this is huge. If we can't have Derek, I'll take Addison. That's great. Okay. So love it. Give me 30 seconds. What's up with Grey's Anatomy right now? (sighs) Wow. Okay. What's up with Grey's Anatomy? Um, well, (laughs) The last season was really bad. I, this is the only time I will say a season of Grey's Anatomy was legitimately bad, but it was. COVID just really fucked with it. And it sort of like moved too slowly. And I just hope that the next season like acknowledges COVID, but isn't stuck in COVID land. Um, Jesse Williams left. And then you don't know this character, but Amelia Shepard, who is um, the the sister of Derek, she... Um, <laughs> She just broke up with her boyfriend and then um, there was a wedding. I don't know. It's kind of a reset, to be honest. Like people so left and Meredith, Meredith came back to there. life. Yeah, she's alive. I think she was dead. Last se- she was in COVID purgatory in a coma for almost the whole season. And is that why she was seeing Derek at the beach yes. in dreams? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Did she see anyone else in dreams? Yes. She saw McSteamy. She saw George, her sister, Lexi. She saw a lot of people. Oh my God. They really oh, her, also her mom's coming back in flashbacks this next com- this next season. So it's a real reset. It's a real return to 2006. Okay. <laughs> a reset 19 seasons in just what we need. <laughs> totally. It's okay. Great. Uh, and then you think Kate Walsh is going to come back and take over. Like, what do you think her journey is? How um, many more seasons does Ellen Pompeo have on her contract? I think one more. So this one character, Joe just became, um, she switched 
uh, expertises or she switched whatever it's called that you do in medicine. My brain is dead today to OB. Like she switched from being a surgical resident to being an OB resident. She's like starting over. Addison is an um, OB surgeon. So I presume she's coming back to be a part of that storyline. That'd be my guess. Okay. And then do you think they'll kill Meredith off? They can't have the show without Meredith, right? They they also, Meredith has like three kids and if they were going to kill her, they would have already done it. And I just feel like they're not going to leave her three kids without parents. Okay. Actually, maybe she has four kids. No, I think three. That's very kind of them, fictionally speaking. I just don't see that happening. It would be so dumb. No, I think you're right. I mean, it's right there in the title, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's Grey's Anatomy. At one point, it was like they introduced Lexi Gray. So if if Ellen Pompeo wanted to leave, Tyler Lee could have been the lead character, but then she died as well. So it's really just Meredith. Okay. It's great. It's it's just, you know, when the show ends, I'll feel less sad because last season was so bad. So I know that it needs to end soon. But um, you know, it's just like a great, a great part of life. I'll always remember the years of Grace Anatomy. It's, 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 it's like half your life. Half literally half my life. Literally yes. half your life at this point. So I'm glad yeah. that you'll always remember it. It would be alarming <laughs> if you didn't. My entire adult life, that's for sure. <laughs> All autonomy has been experienced with Grace Anatomy by my side. That just seems like a book deal right there. Call Juliet, everybody. <laughs> Great transition. On that note, let's talk about books. Okay. I want to start by talking about the Sally Rooney economy. We have not read her new book, which is coming out quite soon. That's true. I asked for a, a advanced copy and didn't get it. So that's how, that's how you know where I am on like the reading totem pole right now. I didn't earn it. I didn't earn an advanced copy. Here's here's my third and final personal announcement, personal update of the podcast. Okay. I will not be reading this book for quite some time. There is nothing that I want to avoid more than the Sally Rooney discourse that's sure to take hold for the next two to three months. I do not want to be a part of it. I just want to enjoy her books in peace. Okay. And so there's just no world in which you can read the book for yourself (laughs) and not be in the discourse. I think it would, I think it's just going to taint it for me. I just like need, I just, I saw today that there's a Sally Rooney pop-up shop going, coming to Shoreditch in London. I'm just like, yeah, but you don't live in the UK. I know, but I think it's, (laughs) nor do you have, (laughs) Don't you have to quarantine right now if you go there? I mean, I'm just saying there are some natural barriers in place. I think it's indicative of how we're approaching the Sally Rooney release. And it's almost like kind of like out of a book about literary fame. Like, it's almost like this is sort of like a parody of literary fame. What's happening with Sally Rooney right now? I have not read the book, the new book, Beautiful World. Where are you? Is that what it's called? I believe so. Yeah, it's about a beautiful world. Uh, I have read the other two Sally Rooney books and I read, I think like a two sentence reference to it before I closed it. Cause I'm avoiding the discourse that like her other books, there is a strain in the new book about the intersection of art and commerce. And also of course, just capitalism and our current society in general, because that is an anxiety or not even anxiety, but a theme and a topic of an examination in all of her books. So Yes, it's strange. They definitely just turned her into like a fashion it girl meme, which like I, you know, I, I guess from a book business standpoint, I understand it's like the only book that sells to people under 30, as yeah. I understand it, like or women under 30. And that's I mean, that's an oversimplification because there are many books, including a lot of romance novels, which we've covered on this podcast that do sell to women. But, you know, of the of the FSG, like snooty covered in the New York times book review books. This is a sure thing for them. You know, like Shiv was reading conversations with friends on HBO level 
prestige reads. So I guess they're just trying to make their bucket hats and make their money, which I guess. I love conversation with friends. I like normal people, but I I think I almost like the normal people TV show better than the book, to be honest, perhaps because Connell's so hot on the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really love conversation with friends. And I, I really, um, I remember when you and I both read the two books, it was sort of, I I'm pleased to say at the beginning of the wave. And yes. You really ordered like, normal people from England and then gave yeah. it to me, which I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. And that was in, um, December of 2018. And like, it was such a pleasant experience of like diving into these two books that I felt were, you know, just uh, like this word is really overused in literary reviews, but like her writing is literally propulsive. Like you just want to keep going. And it was, it was so thrilling and it was like exciting to talk about it with other people whose opinions I like really respect and want to know about. But I just feel like at a certain point, like books more than TV shows, I feel like become subject to conversation that just sort of like spins out of control and um gets and because reading is so personal and like the way that you read is so personal I feel like it gets like intertwined with how people feel about like stuff in their own life and I just feel like I I often am just sort of like I don't need all this conversation around it I don't know well it's interesting I think that reading when you and I actually do read is the thing which which again we're excited to do extraordinary circumstances but we we love to read but books are the things that we do for ourselves. Um, yeah. We don't really make content out of it because contrary to what the Sally Rooney pop-up and bucket hat extravaganza would tell you, <laughs> not a lot of, not a lot of uh, money to be made in, in covering books or not, not a lot of audience to be found though. Thank you all for listening. So it, it's already a personal thing and it's separate from all of the other things that we consume and then, you know, turn into opinion or, or, you know, make a living. Uh, talking about, I guess, which is a part of our job. So when, when all of the talking comes closer to this personal space, I think you and I in particular just kind of seize up. Yeah. I, like I just choose to like not talk to people about it, which um, I'm like, leave me alone. And that's my plan. I'll read it and I'll probably never read anything about it. Uh, and I'll just kind of see things flip by on social media and be like, no, thank you. But this does happen from time to time when something becomes so popular or even like so popular within its world that it becomes so loud. And if you have to hear a lot of people's opinions about anything, of course, it's not great. Like not everyone is like <laughs> right and perfect about everything. At some point, it just becomes overwhelming. So I'm hoping that we can separate the actual experience of reading the Sally Rooney book from the the, the noise around it, but, but that will take, that will take work. I'm going to read it soon, even though I did not get an advanced copy. I guess I'll just buy Order it. it. Yeah. But I, I will not engage in any of the, the discourse. As I said to you, I've moved to no discourse Island. You're welcome at any time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one thing I find interesting is so much of also the coverage of her is about her ambivalence towards being famous and sort of like discomfort with the attention and, and much preferring to like focus on, on the work. But I also think that, and and there's a vulture profile of her, which, you know, as we said, we're not really engaging in the discourse. So we, we, I, I did skim it, but I, I think that just from what I can tell from the, you know, the last few years of Sally Rooney, um, I, I get the impression in some ways she'd also prefer the, the work speak for itself, but she also, you know, clearly understands and is fixated on the relationship between like art and commerce and doesn't 
discourse, di- sorry, doesn't discount the commerce aspect of it because she wants to make the art. And so I also like, it's, it's interesting and it's like a real like dialectic in a kind of like very traditional way that she seems to be trapped in. And I, um, I really like, I feel like, uh, some other authors we may speak about, I have like ill will towards because of how I feel like they, um, ride the art and commerce wave, but I don't, I don't towards her actually. I, I believe that you were subtweeting Jonathan Franzen just then. And that's I actually sure, sure was. <laughs> on my most anticipated list. I'll probably read it, but I, like, I want to bring it up because, you know, listeners yesterday, I texted Juliet because I was putting a list together of, of books I'm looking forward to. And Jonathan Franzen, the American novelist, perhaps you've heard of him, uh, does have a new book coming out this fall. And I realized that I had never spoken spoken with Juliet about Jonathan Franzen. And I kind of know Juliet's opinions on <laughs> notable authors and, you know, the corrections is pre 9-11, but is like part of that generation, like of American yes. literature and, and Juliet, that's an area of interest for Juliet. So from a scholarly standpoint. So I was like, huh, Juliet, what do you think about Jonathan Franzen? Franzen? And she just wrote like, nope, I've never read him and I never will. Which number one, just like keep Juliet in your life because she'll always surprise you. You know, like it's <laughs> Thanks, like Amanda. whether it's the Dawson's Creek theme song or whether it's like, I just have not even engaged with Jonathan Franzen. But as you were speaking about Sally Rooney and just kind of the discomfort with all of the hubbub around it, I mean, that is the Jonathan Franzen experience, right? He is definitely, and not just because of the Oprah of it all, but just that he has, he he's turned himself into like a brand name and a commercial entity as much as a, 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 a novelist. Well, and while pretending seems, to be uncomfortable with it. Sure. Yes, totally. Um, it's, and so I do, I, I was like, oh, that must be uh, why Juliet is not interested in Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> I also find his writing boring just to be clear. Um, yeah, as I was thinking about it, like I definitely I read the corrections, but I, I think I read it in high school. So I it's not like I understood anything. I tried to read Freedom and I was like, this is. A yeah, pass. I quit Freedom. Like respectfully, it's just a no for me with the birds. I'm, I have my own personal war against the birds in my home and or around my home. I should say they're not in them yet, though, in it yet, though. Who knows? I can, you can't trust them. And then Purity's Wild. I, I read it. I don't remember anything about it. I I. Maybe I'll read it again. I think sentence to sentence and in terms of holding your attention, he is is quite talented. But I don't know if I'll read this novel. As you were talking about the the idea of wanting to do the work, with, but also, and wanting to promote it, but also disdaining promoting it. I was thinking a lot about actors. And you you hear this a lot with other artists, but particularly movie stars, actors, people who are contractually obligated to promote something because it is now just like understood to be part of the job at that po- this point but like aren't good sports about it and don't understand that it's the part of the job. And I have absolutely no patience with actors who whine about being at a press conference or blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm just like, it's part of the job. And I do wonder to, to what extent it's part of the job at this point for a successful novelist or a novelist who sells their books or, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's contractually obligated in the same way, but I think if you want your book to sell and you want people to read it, you got to do something. So, but I do also understand being uncomfortable with it. I guess I'm willing to give writers more leeway with that mm. contradiction than I am with actors, maybe just because I like them more. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think I get 
as upset about it or I understand the discomfort a bit more because what are they supposed to do? No one reads. Yeah. And which is so depressing. It's just terrible. Um, Including me this summer. So, you know. Yeah, I know. There's just like so much television. I think also like I don't find reading to be like an unwinding activity. Whereas like if I put on the Real Housewives of Potomac, I I will fall asleep very quickly in like a, a nice, a nice way. Like and I say that with love to the Real Housewives of Potomac. <laughs> um, but like reading is like an activating experience. And like if you like really want to engage in everything, I, I think what I find frustrating about someone like Jonathan Franzen and like that era of American literature, I do find really fascinating. Thank you for saying that and for bringing it up. But like, I think that we'll, I, I appreciate the sort of, um, I, I appreciate the way that Sally Rooney's ambivalence really comes across in interviews with her. Whereas I feel like there's like a, um, a performance of, of ambivalence that comes across in other writers that I am like somewhat unfairly like putting all on Jonathan Franzen. He's certainly not the other one, not, not the only one, but, um, it's just a different kind of celebrity. It's, it's fascinating. Cause like, if you think back to sort of like the glory days of publishing, which is, was known for like the expense expense account lunch and like even a TV show, like younger sort of like built upon built on the notion that there's like a cachet of working in publishing and, and being an author. Um, that is like so far from to quote you like Addison Ray, like that type of celebrity is like so different. And so sort of the, the going concerns are, are very funny. It's like, not to always mention Nora Ephron, but it sort of makes me think of, you know, the famous Carrie Fisher line restaurants are to people in the eighties, what theater were to people in the sixties and sort of like how there's always an evolving, like it cultural thing to participate in. And it, it feels uh, Sally Rooney's only almost like an anachronism because she's sort of like the only person that it feels like that, like that is true for anymore. Where like, there's like this cachet to her. Um, but she might not have even wanted that. Sure, there is like a 80s, 90s, and earlier idea of the novelist that is at lunch at the table next to the magazine editor and this kind of rarefied but out like sceny. There's like a quote, like quote, literary scene. And also it was a way that you could make a living, which or at least some people could, successful people, um, successful novelists. And even though Sally Rooney is definitely like the it girl and is in every magazine, but it it's not, there's not like a sceny outwardness no. to it. Um, it's definitely being foisted upon her. So I think there is a difference. I think also, you know, it might just be that Jonathan Franzen is like uniquely grading in his self-promotion, sure. uh, which like, which is like fine. I think, you know, he made an enemy of Twitter pretty quickly, which I'm just not picking a side on that one respectfully. Uh, no, no, thanks. I'll see my way out. But there are plenty of novelists and writers we admire who like are more visible and take on different projects and do different things. And it's great. And it might just be that that became like a particularly annoying one, which which is fine. But it it's interesting. The thing about the Sally Rooney thing is that none of this feels connected to her in any way, shape or form. It definitely feels like a bunch of publishing houses and and magazines and people who like need the content as much as the that publishers need the books to be sold just like invented this storm around a person who like wants to promote her work and rightfully so i think that i mean that's the other thing i like i wouldn't want her to just you know hide away because she's too good to to talk about the success of her work and that people like her work because they really do but it, it feels totally separate from her 
I think also just on a personal level, I don't have a desire to like really know authors. Like I feel like I like to know them through their work, but I don't really have a desire to like know them as people. I mean, I feel like I get to know them through what they write. And I think that's just sort of maybe really counterintuitive because I'm obsessed with celebrity otherwise. But I think that in some ways to me, because authors are literally writing, um, writing their legacy that, that there's enough of like primary documents that we don't need to like, you know, I don't need a page six item about where Sally Rooney's having lunch. Yeah. And if I do need to know them, it's not in the celebrity way. I mean, I, I still think that like I joke about Ellen Hildebrand a lot on this website and I do follow her on Instagram and she's, I think she's quite talented at what she does, but it's a separate type of novelist, but also I'm just more interested. I'm like, that seems like a great life. And I do think in my head, I still think novelists who, first of all, have the gift and the ability to just like get up and write every day for a certain amount of time, which uh, to me is still the number one thing that uh, skill or talent gift that I admire. And then, you know, I imagine them like in the country, like going for a walk, you know, doing all of this idyllic stuff that has probably no relationship to their actual life, which is like grinding, sending emails, trying to get paid for things. It's It's a hard life. But I'm interested in a lifestyle way. Sure. I think also novelists, the thing that I admire the most is the way they're willing to expose themselves. Because even if you think, even if they think they're not, I personally think they are. Like there's just sort of, oh yeah. Um, and and I, I, I could never write every day, but moreover, I could never feel comfortable exposing myself in that way. And I like really admire the audacity and the courage to do it. Well, I think sometimes the problem is that they either don't realize they are or they don't care, which is why, like, honestly, probably we wouldn't want to be friends with most novelists. But yeah, that's not true. I know some nice novelists, I think, or some nice people who have write, written novels but wouldn't think of themselves as novelists, mm-hmm. which is a distinction. Sure. Anyway, I don't have the bucket hat. I wouldn't wear it just because I'm not really doing bucket hats. Me neither. Hats are a struggle for me. Still working on being a hat person. It just needs to be for skincare, you know? Yeah, I am. But I just haven't figured it out yet. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! 
This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Um, should we talk about some books we're excited about? New and not new? Just, yes. You know? Yeah. Why don't you go first? What are you currently reading? I don't, I don't even know. So what I'm currently reading is a, a grown-up book, and it's taking me a lot of time. I'm reading Hotel du Lac by Anita Bruckner. Are you familiar with Anita Bruckner? Are you familiar no, with this book? I'm not. So this book won the Booker Prize in 1984, the year of my book, the year of my birth, the year of my book. Um, and Anita Bruckner is an English novelist who's written several novels, like many novels, um, very celebrated. And I just had, she was not on my radar until I believe I was looking at the Twitter account of Ruman Alam, the, mm. author, uh, the author of Leave the World Behind, which I recommend. And I also recommend his Twitter, Twitter account. That seems like a novelist who's also doing things, who's really figured out, in my opinion, just from the outside. Uh, very likable. I mean, he was r- raving about Anita Bruckner, basically had no familiarity, and ordered this book, which is her most famous. And it is about a woman, I think it's just, I think it's like 50s, but might be slightly er- earlier in the UK Hmm. and she has gone to a hotel in, I think it's Switzerland, but the Hotel du Lac because she is trying to avoid things that have gone wrong in her own life. And that's how it starts. And it's, it's mostly first person narration, but in like a very wry stylized way, the character is also a novelist herself. It's on trend. And she's writing, but she writes women's fiction. And so, you know, it's like, it's funny in a lot of ways. And it's sort of like observant comedy of manners, but also Hmm, about like this era and social expectations and, you know, and being a woman, all of this stuff. It's great. It's really great. It is definitely a higher grade of reading level than I've been doing all summer. And so I'm like... I probably read about 10 pages a night and then I like get a little tired. I'm working the muscle back, but I really recommend it. And I will probably read more Anita Bruckner as a result. Cool. That sounds yeah. great. I'm going to look into that. Um, um, I really recommend it. I'm similarly reading a grown up book. Um, I'm reading Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell, who's one of my faves. I took a long David Mitchell break. I got to tell you, I love this book. I love David Mitchell. I feel like Cloud Atlas, the movie being so bad, really fucked up how people think about him and his work. And also perhaps the literary landscape moved beyond his sort of um, labyrinth, labyrinthine style of interconnectivity between his books. But I really like this one because it's set in the 70s in London. And so far, there's been nothing um, supernatural or sci-fi, which, you know, comes sometimes sneak up on you in his books. I'm not that deep into it, but um it's just like really great writing and he has so much warmth. It's set in the seventies in London. It's primarily about music. Utopia Avenue is the name of a band. Don't have to like music or care about like the punk scene of London in the seventies to like this book. And it's just like, there is some, and if you are a fan of his, like there's some connectivity with the other, with the other uh, books. Like one of the characters is named Jasper to Zoet. And, um, one of his main characters from a book from about 10 years ago is Jacob to Zoet. So I, I came out about a year ago. I bought it in hardcover and I never read it cause it was too heavy. And then I got it from the library and I've been reading it on my iPad and it's been delightful. 
I, I really, I don't know. I just like, love David Mitchell and I feel like he's going to be lost to time. So I'm going to keep talking about him, even though Cloud Atlas was a smash. You bring up David Mitchell, I would say like every six months and <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 that, that makes it sound like another thing of like, here's a Juliet thing. No, I'm always really moved by it because I think my dad is the other like number one David Mitchell enthusiast like in the world. And my father loves David Mitchell. My father like will call me every time he reads a David Mitchell novel. It's like, this is the best novel I've ever read. And then he'll send me the novel. And like sometimes like an old David Mitchell novel shows up at our house without any sort of note because my dad isn't really about like leaving the Amazon notes or whatever. He's just like, here is some literature. And my husband also like really gets into them. So it's like, my dad and my husband and you all just have this like special bond. And I'll be honest, I haven't really gotten into it, but that's okay. That's okay. Because it's, it's lovely that people have different interests and affinities and all these people I love are so into David Mitchell. It's very sweet. It moves me. I, it's funny. I feel like his writing is sort of like passe now, but I just find it great. If you're looking, if you are looking to get involved with David Mitchell and you want like a starter, starter book, that's like not too challenging. I definitely go with Black Swan Green. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And that wonderful, is wonderful. that showed up at our house this summer. Just like with no context. And I was like, oh, this must be from my dad because it's, it's David so, Mitchell book. It's great. It's like it's like visiting the English countryside on like a cold, wet January morning and like just sort of going along for the ride. But you don't actually have to be cold or wet or in England on a January morning. I really, really recommend it. It's one of my all-time favorite reads. And I'm I'm really enjoying Utopia Avenue. And that's like also, like, I think it got good reviews. It's like also available in paperbacks. So like, you know, if you're worried about a heavy book and you don't want to use the Libby app, then you could just buy it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Um, but I feel like there wasn't a lot of hubbub around it. Whereas like after Cloud Atlas, which really kind of made seem like he was destined for like literary fame as well, but then tapered off. I feel like, I think the movie and then I think the bone clocks was, I I think people liked it, but it was kind of hard to access. It was, it was an inaccessible book. I think people sort of like tailed off on David Mitchell, but he's back. Check out Utopia Avenue from one year ago. I really like it. I love it. That's a great recommendation. My dad will be thrilled. (laughs) Well, if he ever listens to this podcast, I I hope he's happy. He doesn't listen to my podcast because he gets too nervous, Uh, but I I don't really know what that means, but that's what he says. And so I, I, it's fine, but he's very proud and he still sends me David Mitchell books and he'll be excited when I talk to him about it. That's great. I have another, this is, I, I wouldn't call it highbrow. It's an extremely easy read. I read it in a night because it's an epistolary Mm. novel of sorts, but it's like older, like classic Maybe there's like a tinge of highbrow to it. I don't really know. Until this summer, I had never read uh, 84 Charing Cross Road. Have you read this book? No, have not. Have you seen this movie? Have you, I mean, it's been adapted every no. which way that you can, which is like pretty funny because like I said, it's just some letters. But so this is a 1970 book because I actually, I, I do think it's true. Um, it's by Helen Humph is her name. And it is kind of, it's like a, collection of real letters between the author Helen and like a bookstore, uh, an, and, and like an antiquarian bookstore in London in the the forties, fifties and sixties, really up until uh, she publishes the book. And it starts as this woman, the, the author who is looking for some out of print books. And, you know, back then there was not Amazon and it was harder to get things. And she has like a very kooky writing style. And so it's this like very charismatic American woman writing all these letters, like over familiar letters to this bookstore and they develop a relationship and she develops a relationship with like 
all the employees and she sends them care packages. And it's this like really beautiful, lovely uh, story of people who like books and then who like find each other. And you keep waiting for them to meet and I, I won't spoil it, but you know, there is this like sense of longing throughout of it. It was really lovely. I recommend it. Um, and like I said, e- easy to read, but still, you know, at least it loves books, right? You know, so, so there's some, there's some high brown ass in that. That sounds great. That yeah. sounds really great. Um, I, my next, my next book is going to be called the fall, which is by John Lanchester, who's another, um, personal fave. Oh yeah. If you, read, if you read the London review of books, you read his essays all the time. Capital by John Lanchester, one of my favorite books ever. And this is about, um, climate change. It also came out about a year ago. So I'm just, I'm just catching up on 2020 here. I'm going to read that next. I'm really excited. John Lanchester is such a wonderful writer. Honestly, he's like in the Zadie Smith zone for me where all of his essays are immediate must reads and his novels. I also like a lot, but like he is definitely better at essays than novels, but it doesn't matter. Got a great mind. This book isn't that long. His writing is very accessible. Um, he recently wrote about cheating in sports for the London review of books, which I definitely recommend if you, are at all interested in sport. He's British. So he, you know, he takes the, takes the long view. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. His essay about Agatha Christie is like the single most satisfying piece of literary criticism that I, Amanda Dobbins have ever read as a person who grew up on Agatha Christie and really loves those. That was a good one. It's so good. And it, for me, it was this really unique experience of someone who is like incredibly, incredibly smarter than I am just being like, here is why you like this thing. And it's just like in a very exhilarating, like, and I read it personally, but I think it also stands on its own. So A plus stuff from him. He also, right after the boat got stuck in the Suez Canal, wrote a long essay <laughs> explain, explaining like the Suez Canal and like a really, in like the kind of like the history of shipping containers in like the most accessible and interesting way possible. It's not boring at all. I swear. That's also in the London review. I think that's sometimes I'm in like, May I was just, I wasn't rolling my eyes at him writing about the Suez canal. I was writing about like the boat that got oh. stuck and that that was like a whole thing for a while. It, it's been a weird 18 months that we've been through and couldn't it's not be, over. Couldn't be weirder. Could not be yeah. weirder. I can't believe it's September. Um, anyway, he's, he's the goat. Should it, mention a few books that we're looking forward to that are coming out soon. Yeah. I have one more book that I've oh, read and I didn't sorry, read it this Amanda. summer. No, no, no. It was just, so are, are you doing hundred foot wave? Are you on the hundred foot wave journey? I love it. I watched yeah, it all. So this, oh, of course you did. You're much better at watching things. Online. So this is a documentary series on HBO, also available on HBO max about surfers and these specifically like, about this one guy named Garrett McNamara, who's obsessed with with surfing a 100 foot wave and sort of the big, big wave surfers and how insane they are. Yeah. And let's be real. These guys should not be surfing these waves. Like that was my, like, I just watched the first episode and I was like, I need these guys to not be surfing these waves, but it's, they have a sense of adventure and a sense of determination and like are definitely a little divorced from reality, which makes them want to do this. And also just like the cinematography, everything is so beautiful. And so Philip, Philip Glass did the score and it yes. is insanely good. Like it's the most soothing, beautiful score I've really ever heard. I love it. So it is like a fascinating study of these people putting themselves in truly life-threatening situations, but it is also just like transporting and beautiful to look at. And it just reminded me a lot of Barbarian Days, the uh, William Finnegan Mm. book, which if I think I've talked about on this podcast before, but I just want to recommend again, because now watching this series, I'm just like, wow, Barbara Andes is just an incredible book. And it's just, 
this wonderful writer who is equally obsessed with surfing, not big wave surfing, but has lived a fascinating life in large part traveling around the world looking for amazing waves to surf and how surfing has shaped his life. And I find like kind of the, um, the margins of this book, the things that don't have to do with surfing and what he gets up to when he's not surfing to be as fascinating as his descriptions of the waves, but it is equally transporting, albeit like in a book way. And I like, I think I'm going to go back and read it again. I see it on the bookshelf as I'm watching hundred foot wave. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is, it's a book not to be missed. So if you haven't read it, I do really recommend it. I, uh, I have it, but I've never read it. So I'm, I'm definitely going to, I have it on my shelf. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's also, you can read it in parts. You don't have to do it all at once because it, it is his whole life. So you can kind of pick it up and put it down, but I, it's really tremendous. Great. I'm going to check it out. Um, some books that we're excited about. Yeah. So there's a lot coming this fall. Obviously we talked about, um, Sally Rooney, which is, which is imminent. Uh, actually I think it's coming out today, the day of this podcast, but, um, just a couple that I'm really, really looking forward to Lauren Groff's next book that's coming, I think next week as well. And it's set in the court of Eleanor of Aquitaine for whom my, my, oh my God, name is, is for. Yes. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> I love fates and furies. It's an awesome, awesome book. It's one of the first things I think you and I really ever talked about. As Do you colleagues. remember my Fates and Furies story? Yes. I think you read it right when you got engaged. I literally, I finished it two hours before I got engaged. Yes. And that it was just, that was like a really a mindset to be in. And to the point that I've been like, do I want to go back into the Lauren Groff mindset? Because it just seems to like auger, you know, certain things in life in weird ways. By the way, being engaged turned out great. That's not what I'm saying, but, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that it was about Eleanor of Aquitaine. I'm really excited. <laughs> it's it's like in her in her court. So okay. it's not, I think it's about whether someone can marry into it, basically. It's about um a 12th century writer who was not allowed to like uh, marry into it. So she leads a new religious movement. It sounds really fucking good. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm really excited too. I I have it on pre-order and I like I can't wait. I I honestly like love Lauren Groff and I'm so excited about just her style of writing. Um, also similarly, like another like major release that like I'm sure you'll hear about is Anthony Doerr's new book coming out as well, which is also like going back in time. It's set in the 15th century and he wrote all the light we cannot see, which I, you know, you know, won the Pulitzer and was really decorated, but I also really quite liked. I thought that was a fantastic book. Yeah, so. it was lovely. And then it showed up in like every single mom yeah. reading list for the end of time. And it like was deemed uncool or whatever, but yeah, but it, an it's accomplishment. Like a lo- yeah, it's a, it's a lovely book about world war two. Um, so I'm like really excited about both of those. It's like, those are probably like the, like, you know, as mainstream as it gets for literary fiction these days, but like, I, I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. It's okay. So I have, I have two as well. In addition to Sally Rooney, one, which has been out for several months. And this book is just like sitting in my living room. I will not put it away because one day soon I'm going to put on my like big girl helmet and I'm going to be able to read a great work of fiction again. And it's going to be The Great Circle by Maggie Mm. Shipstead, Mm. which has just gotten like extraordinary reviews. Everyone I respect is like, this is a triumph. And I think it is like a pretty, at this point, mainstream literary release. And I'm almost certain that it will end up on like best of books. Nothing wrong with that. Having not having read it, but I have read both of Maggie Shipstead's previous novels, uh, Seating Arrangements, which is about like a, a, a wedding and, and a, a wedding weekend and things gone wrong, I believe on Nantucket, but a Nantucket-esque island if it's not Nantucket. 
And then Astonish Me, which is about a dancer, if I recall. Yeah, I read that. It's the ballet one. Yes. Um, And The Great Circle is, by all accounts, just like a huge step up for her in terms of scope and ambition and also um, achievement. People are, I, I liked both of her novels, but people are really wild about it. So I'm just saying this in public so that by the end of the year, like I have read The Great Circle. I believe okay. that I can do it. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Sure. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Accountability, you know? Oh, man. You know what else is coming this fall, Amanda? A new book what? from Amor Tolls, who's like, you know, just oh, great, really? What's it great about? airport reading. It's called The Lincoln Highway. And I think it's sort of like a, um, I, I don't completely know, but I think it's like a, you know, another of his sort of like crime-esque novels set in a different time period. Was The Gentleman in Moscow crime-esque? Was there a crime in that? Was there a spy? Is that a spy? I don't really remember it. I liked the he, other one better. He Rules doesn't go outside. Oh, really? I I couldn't read Rules of Civility, but I I've liked that. Gentleman in Moscow a lot. Um, but I don't really remember a crime if there was one. I just remember oh, I he was in back. the hotel and he liked it. It was sort of like historical fiction, but not about... Anyway. I consider him very high-end airplane reading. Exactly. I have one more that I consider high-end airplane reading. Let's hear it. So I've talked about The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman on this podcast before. Yes. I'm so pleased to announce that this is becoming a series and he's written another book in the series news. (laughs) called The Man Who Died Twice uh, that will be out, I believe, at the end of September. This is honestly my most anticipated book. My one of my best friends, uh, Becky, and I are both really obsessed with it. And Becky's wife, Katie, makes fun of us. And so I've just been like on a countdown clock text chain with the three of them just being like four more weeks until the next Thursday Murder Club. And we're we're just going to have like a book release party of two. But I really recommend Thursday Murder Club if you haven't read it. And then the new book, which is something to look forward to. That's great. Yeah. I'm so excited for you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful news. Um, we'll follow. We're going to just like get back to reading, put on some sweaters, stay inside because it's fall. And I'm probably, I in Los Angeles probably won't wear the sweater for a while. But, you know, intellectually, I will. Emotionally. Sure. Your emotional sweater. Yeah. Crank up that air conditioning, you know, get under a blanket. It's, it's listen, it's as high it's going right now. We don't, we can talk <laughs> about that some other time. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening to our, our, uh, September book special. We'll be trying to do this more regularly as we get back to reading more and more. Um, thanks to Erica Cervantes for producing this episode and we'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.